Hey, it's Kate. Hey, it's Anissa. Fosco Works has a bonus episode for you today. It's part of a custom podcast called Productivity Confidential, produced in partnership with Citrix. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Secrets of the Most Productive People. I'm Ted Brown, and this is Productivity Confidential, a custom podcast from Fasco Works and Citrix. We'll hear from industry leaders on how you can use emerging strategies and technologies to unlock employee creativity and productivity at your workplace. Welcome back to another episode of Productivity Confidential. I'm Ted Brown, your host, and my guest today is Richard Ashe, Global Technology Partnerships Lead on the Chrome Enterprise team at Google. Richard, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ted. So, Richard, can you tell me a little bit about what you do with Chrome Enterprise and at Google? Yeah, so what we do in Chrome Enterprise is we help companies adopt our technology, including Chrome browser and Chrome devices. and what that means is they're typically going through some sort of cloud transformation, and they're looking at tools like this and, and G Suite and Google Cloud Platform. And my role in that is to help integrate our products with third-party technologies that matter to companies. So like they need to use virtualization to access their apps. Citrix would be a really good example of that. Or they need to tap into a device. Improvata being a great example. So I work through those BD relationships. I mean, that's a lot of productivity in and in of itself, I yeah. think, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, want to be, yeah. It's pretty busy. <laughs> it's a good person to have in the show. Um, so I think that some of our audience is going to be familiar with Google's sort of famous program about using uh, basically a fifth of your time to do projects that you really care about, that you're yep. passionate about. But can you tell folks sort of what that is, what exactly happens? Right. Yeah. So... So 20% time project, this this started off really when the company was founded. So the founders, Larry Page and Sergey Brown, very early on created this culture where you could effectively take a day a week and really follow your own passion project. Now, of course, back then, they were mostly engineers. And like many engineers, they're going to probably want to continue to solve similar problems, right? So they ended up doing stuff in some cases, somewhat tangentially related to the core business. But more often than not, we found that they were generally doing things that actually helped their daily responsibilities, even if they were kind of doing things that were kind of wacky. My first experience seeing this and witnessing it for the first time is uh, when I first joined Google, I asked everyone I met what their 20% time project was. And when was this? This is back in uh, now 2010. And I was on the Mountain View campus, which is like the corporate headquarters. And uh, I, I just, you know, from the first engineer I talked to, he was mounting an Android phone on the servos, like the body of a robot. And uh, I said, why are you doing that? I was like, why not? <laughs> so there's no real, he didn't, he just, he was curious how it would work. He was curious about the potential. And, and sure enough, apparently that thing was wheeling around the office six months later. Another guy uh, was creating, uh, taking an Android phone and trying to retrofit satellites. I'm like, why would you do that? And he said, well, actually, if you think about the satellites, like 20 years ago, they had pretty weak cameras. Uh, the technology's now really dated. And if you could retrofit a satellite with an Android phone, you could dramatically improve its performance and its, you know, uh, everything, all the pictures it can capture. And sure enough, you know, eight months later, there are weather balloons with his Android phones falling into swamps. He's like fishing them out. So and there's a, like a story about that. So, so, the, so this all started because I think they inherently knew that they, there was creativity out there that they could unleash. And then the, and there was like that, that, was going to be a byproduct of just giving people freedom to start to explore, so to take risks, to do things outside of the confines of their job, 
or maybe really outside the box with stuff they've never seen before. And I think you saw a lot of examples like uh, the projects that went from 20% time to things like Gmail, which start off with like really one engineer is saying, we got to solve this email problem. This is a nightmare. And he's like, how could I do this differently? Then that turned into a, look, the next stage is to make that a mini project where you actually get other people involved. Oh, so this is staged. You can sort of yeah. take on, oh, interesting. Yeah, so like that's the, that's the, the next stage is, okay, I'm going to go out and recruit other, other 20% time people. And you have autonomy to go find those people. And then eventually, if it scales and if it makes sense, then you start to fund it with you know, full-time resources. And more often than not, these things fail, right? Because they tend to be innovative. They tend to be outside the box. And, uh, and that has had a tremendous impact on our culture, I think. Well, it's interesting. Some of the examples you gave us are they have a lot of practical, productive applications. But I want to talk about your project because it's yeah. much more sort of magnanimously facing. It's sort of about education yeah. and serving um, younger people who might be interested in coding. Yeah. And it's based around music, which I really love. So yeah. can you tell us a little bit about Python MC? Yeah. So Python MC is about teaching kids to code, students to code, primarily from underserved communities. So these are They might have a little bit of computer science education or like an hour of code, but they don't have possibly a, a full CS program. And so the idea is to teach them using hip hop and music production. So um, I, I've collaborated with a number of people, Rapport Studios, who knows a ton about culture responsive pedagogy, Codenex, which is this great organization within Google that has like a storefront school at Google in New York where they bring students all from around the city to teach um, through you know, long-term programs as well as clubs like mine that I teach, and also just collaborating with an uh, organization at the Georgia Tech School of Music Technology where they have created a platform called EarSketch. And it's like, imagine GarageBand or Ableton or any of these like music production softwares and, and uh, software solutions. Instead of dragging and dropping, you write code to remix beats. And so we've been doing this now since 2017. It was officially a 20% time project just with myself. I've turned that into a mini project. So now that's 20 over volunteers, about 25 now. A bunch of program managers from all walks of life within Google, different skill sets, external volunteers. And it's, uh, it's we're now teaching students and teachers in the US and now in Middle East and in Africa and hopefully soon in India. Wow! So the concept of underserved went from what we're really focused on, focusing on here in New York to really being any underserved community. And you talked about how for a lot of engineers at the beginning, these were sort of extensions of things they were already working on or interested in. How did this idea come to you? Was this a love yeah. of hip hop growing up? Was it a love of yeah. Python? Was it sort of a combination of those two things? It was exactly the combination. So I was uh, teaching myself Python didn't know what to do with it. And I was listening to a hip hop track. Now, most people um, are probably gonna be too young to know this, but it's called The Choice Is Yours. In the beginning of that track, starts off go with a, the guy going this and that, this, and that sounded like a control flow statement. And so I'm like, well, surely you could teach coding with hip hop. There's gotta be a way. And so I met this, you know, I was meeting this uh, group called Rapport Studios. This is all they did. They were teaching history with hip hop before Hamilton was a thing. And a lot of collaboration with them. And then so they went off and did something called Code Society, where they teach uh, computational thinking to young students. And then I really kind of took the ball and ran with it with this you know, Python MC and like developing you know, videos and you know, running this class. And it's gotten to this point, as it expanded from just a one-man show to a mini project, 
I honestly don't know where it's going to go. I mean, I'm, there's one person that's now on the team who works at YouTube Music, and he's like, hey, man, we got to do a hype video. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> he's got that thing going on. And I've talked to, there's another person that's joined us, and she created this amazing thing where she inspires girls to learn how to uh, play in a rock and roll band from a standing start. She's like, we could do so many things with you know, community outreach. So this now officially has a life of itself, and I'm just really excited um, about where it could possibly go. Well, that's uh, that's really interesting. So you started this project, and you built it around a couple of things that people are naturally interested in. Music, education, code, being at Google, obviously, yeah. people are going to be interested. So you sort of found this community within the company and built around it. I find that I find that fascinating. It's sort of it's sort of group productivity. It's sort of bringing everyone together and be like, oh, we can all work on this together and bring our passions into this twenty percent program. Yeah. And what beyond that about just like collaborating with these people? Because that that actually what I actually thought was going to happen was I was going to find like minded individuals who just had a sense of purpose like me and they're just excited about it. And that's definitely true. But then when I the more sort of meetings we have, I actually realized they have a specific skill set that they are also building. And so for one, this one person, he said, you know, let's, I, I really need to get more into project management. And when I think about this, I'm like, okay, well, let's use these tools to do it. And he said, that's great, because I actually could learn a lot from you from project management. Now, he never mentioned that at the start. It was all about the purpose. But he, I think as he went on, he started to see there's some real stuff I can learn that I could just take back to my day job. And so, um, but a lot of it is about having the freedom to do that in the first place. We'll be right back after a short break. At Citrix, we're working hard to simplify the work experience to transform how people collaborate, create, and innovate. As a quality analyst in the technical support team, my day-to-day -day work requires me to find efficiencies and stay productive to get everything done, all while pursuing my passion project outside of work, my basket of hope. I started this nonprofit to provide help and support to those affected by cancer. We provide free, small, must-have personal care items that help to physically manage daily life. Technology, like a Citrix workspace, allows me to streamline my day job so I can ultimately give back to the community I work in. I'm Doris Randall, and I'm helping the world work better. Learn more at citrus.com fastco. I'm interested in that feedback loop because I think that for a lot of companies who are maybe thinking about this and maybe not taking a leap into it, they're sort of, you know, you can do community service, you can do X, Y, and Z, but maybe not giving people the flexibility to take an entire fifth of their time to spend on these projects. That skills loop that you're talking about, someone wanting to learn more about project management and a company saying, you can do this project. You can learn. You're going to bring a skill back to the table for us, anyways. So go ahead, do something you're passionate about, and bring it back to us, and sort of make the company grow. Yeah. I mean, is that an argument for companies who maybe want to explore this further? That that definitely is an argument. Like just pure career development. Okay, so you are today an individual contributor. You kind of like maybe you're an engineer just working on you know their bit of their code, and you want to become team lead. Well, you're definitely going to need to know how to collaborate more effectively, how to delegate project management as well, and things like that, and manage you know multiple different stakeholders. So there's definitely career development opportunity there. I think the bigger thing, the bigger opportunity, is around uh, something we call effective commitment. And so there's a lot of 
research in the space. Uh, Jessica Rodell uh, wrote uh, a lot of papers around this, who I happened to chat with this morning. Adam Grant, uh, who uh, is a an author and a professor at Wharton, has done some great stuff in the space. And so the data tells us that if you give employees time to give back to the community, if you foster an environment where they can volunteer, that increases effective commitment. That, that's the the attachment, the positive attachment you have with an organization. And so that has clear impact based on the research on uh, absenteeism. So people just want to come to work and they want to commit to work. It has uh, impact on productivity. It has an impact on uh, employee retention. Uh, from my own personal experience, every once in a while I'll do an interview and then I'll come back and I'll go into my 20% time project. I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> so it's, it's, so it, it definitely, uh, it becomes something that makes your employees just believe in what you're doing and, and see your organization as a caring, what we call a pro-social organization. And, uh, and there's nothing quite like that. I mean, you can try to give them benefits and more money, like to a certain extent, to get to a certain point, that doesn't matter. You have to do some of these other things to get people to want to stay there for long term and, and be successful in general. I want to bring it back a little bit to your personal experience with the program yeah. and ask how that 20% time has influenced your 80% time when yeah. you're doing your day job. Yeah, great, great question. So when I started this 20% time project, uh, I was already doing you know, well enough at work, uh, but you know, I, I'd have to admit, I probably wasn't the most efficient human being in the world. We all have things we could improve. And I started this 20% time project and I got approval without hesitation from my manager, strongly encouraged me to do it just because for the sake of the program, she just thought it was a great idea. Didn't think about, okay, this could teach you this skill or that skill. Although in the case of what I was doing, learning Python, learning to code and teaching others was definitely a great way to improve my technical acumen. But it was more around she just believed, you know, in 20% time, like uh, a lot of the people I know and work with. And so in terms of like my productivity though, now it's kind of similar to playing sports in school. Like the, if I looked at how at my grade point average, it was much higher during sports seasons than it wasn't. Cause like, you know, you know give, a, give a task to a busy person, right? Uh, because they're gonna f find a way to make it work and they're gonna be much more efficient. They don't have time to like, for example, go onto social media during the day. You know, they just simply know that if they wanna be able to do both without stringing themselves out and working 20 hours a day, they need to find a way to make that, you know, that 80% a lot more productive. And from my own personal experience, I've seen that has a tremendous effect on my performance. So I'm, uh, I'm much more productive, much more focused, and I just don't have time for distraction. And I also learn how to say no. So I know that if something's not driving value, I'm not, just not going to get involved. I'm just going to learn how to say no better. And I've, I've done that. But it's also about just the fact that I'm thinking outside the box more because I'm not just 100% just on like my day-to-day and I have this great thing that I love, and that encourages me to go back and take some of those skills and attitudes back into my day job and start to think outside the box and what I'm doing already. So Richard, do you have another 20% project that, that has been bubbling up in your mind that you're thinking about launching, or, or yeah. is everything sort of pushed in on Python MC? Yeah, I'm pretty all in at this point. You know? <laughs> so it's, it's more around um, going back to this taking a life of its own. Like the people that I'm bringing in have ideas I haven't thought of. They have 
people that they know that I would not even be three or four degrees removed from. You know, these are in so in some really interesting creative people, and they've done things in their own life, in their you know in the day in their day job, in their own twenty percent time projects. That uh, they said, like, I did something like this. I actually wonder if we could do something similar or use that as inspiration. So at this point, I'm, I'm calling it Python C version two. It's, it's like, but it's going to be something that I, it, it's probably the wrong way to think about it. I probably should come up with a new name because I think it's going to go way beyond what I've been doing so far. I have one last question, and it's more geared towards employees who might mm-hmm. want to go to their managers, might want to go to their bosses yeah. and say, I have something I'm really passionate about, yeah. but I need time to do it, and yeah. I need company time to do it yeah how how do you what are you gonna what do you tell them what do you what encouragement what advice do you give those people yeah so i think the first thing they would have to do is have the sort of relationship with their manager uh that they could even have that conversation in the first place and what i mean by that is um hopefully they're already in a space where the culture encourages open communication and feedback and spends a lot of time focusing on manager behaviors uh, So, and their skill sets. Google spent a lot of time doing this, like focusing on and doing some real like analysis around the impact of great management skills on employee productivity and, and sense of well-being. And, and so ideally you're already in an environment like that um, that already has 20% time. If you're not and you're kind of going bottom up trying to create this, it's going to be tougher. But I, what I would say is this. I would have the conversation around focusing on, you know, first starting off on being clear on what you're doing, what your objectives are, and how you're going to achieve them. So if you already have that well established, then it shouldn't be about how much time you're spending. It should be about what outcomes you're driving. And it should be like in terms of what am I accomplishing, what's going to make me or help me get to the next level in six months. Like what is like – outstanding success look like. And if you already established that, then after that you say, okay, actually I'm also going to pursue this passion project, but it definitely won't impact my work. In fact, I think I'll probably be more productive. Then if you already have had that conversation and you've built that sort of trust, you you can probably start to, in some ways, almost do like a, a grassroots effort to build 20% time your company. Things of easier ways to have uh, that already coming top down. And maybe you need to first start off by just inspiring them to think about 20% time. So maybe your 20% time project is to create 20% time at your company. That could be one way to think about it. I think that's a perfect place to end. Richard, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Ted. Today's conversation with Richard really got me thinking about how these 20% programs are allowed to pursue what you care about, what you're passionate about. In Richard's case, it's educating young people on code and using music to do that, which I love. Or if you're more interested in doing sort of direct volunteering or doing something for the environment, whatever it is, Richard talking about how that 20% he spends with Python MC re-energizes him and gives him an opportunity to go back and work at Google and bring all that energy into his day job. He's learning new skills. He's bringing new perspectives into the office. I think that was a really great way to frame what we're talking about here because it's all about sort of personal productivity, how people can use these sort of programs to not only find purpose in their own lives, but go back and bring all that energy and bring all that dynamism into your workplace. And it got me thinking that productivity isn't just about 
what you do for your company. It isn't really what it's not about what you do in a project. It's your whole person. It's how you bring your experiences and how you bring the, your passions into the workplace. It's how you become a productive person on a different scale. You're bringing sort of this holistic perspective to productivity where you're dragging all your personal experiences and all your cares or your passions into what you do. And Richard's experience building and sharing Python MC with the world is proof of that. That's all for this episode of Productivity Confidential. Anissa and Kate will be back with a new episode of Secrets of the Most Productive People next week. Productivity Confidential is produced by Fasco Works in partnership with Citrix. I'm Ted Brown. Our producer is Josh Christensen.